0: Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I am John Agroni, chief editor of Cinemaholics. I'm also a film critic for Awards Watch, The Spool, and the Young Folks. And I'd subscribe to a YouTube channel if it was run by Andrew Garfield. I'm not going to lie. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he just sold his car so he can pay rent. It's Will Ashton. What up? You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com. We also have written reviews and other bonus content for you to find there. You can write into the show anytime by sending us an email. We'd love to hear from you. cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast, keep the fun going. There's two main ways. First, you can become one of our patrons on Patreon.com/slash/Cinemaholics, or you can get your hands on some Cinemaholics merchandise. We have a merch page on Cinemaholics.com, so get yourself a hoodie, mug, t-shirt, or shot glass. Links to all that and more are in the show notes. Well, quite a week ahead of us. We just had our Wrath of Man review come out uh-huh. yesterday. Uh, so I talked to Isaac Feldberg about that new Guy Ritchie Jason Statham movie. You weren't there. I promised the listeners though that they would hear from you eventually.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I unfortunately had not had a chance to see that film yet. I want to. I'm looking forward to seeing it in the theater when I am fully. Uh, I guess. I, well, I am fully vaccinated now, but I have that that trial period. Yeah, two weeks. Uh, well, I guess it's like almost a week now. So uh, just a matter of days before I find myself back in the multiplex with. Uh, <laughs> with my my lovely big screen experience but unfortunately that day has not yet come but it will soon
0: yeah I it turns out for me my first trip back to the movie theater has been scheduled planned it's in the it's in the book I'm gonna be seeing quiet place 2 as soon as my two weeks are up uh, so I'm very very excited that's gonna be my first movie in the theater it's not gonna be like a roll of the dice kind of situation (laughs) where it's a movie i mean who knows if quiet place 2 is good but just in the sense that i mean the first one was such a great theatrical experience the first quiet place because of the sound design of it and it was just such a satisfying kind of blockbuster movie and then we have john krasinski coming back as director emily blunt i'm i have pretty good expectations for this one so very excited to get back into the theater again. I know you are too.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely.
0: But that was a great conversation about Wrath of Men I had with Isaac Feldberg. We gotta have the guy back on. He's He was fantastic.
1: I agree. For a second, I thought you were just talking about our, like, just conversation right there. Like, you were just saying, like, that was a great conversation about the movie theaters. Sorry, I, I, I was <laughs> caught could, off You guard. could take
0: or leave that one, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, yeah.
0: You're like, geez, John, quit pandering. Um, yeah. No, the Wrath of Man conversation, even better. If you like that movie theater conversation, yeah. buckle up. Uh, it was yeah, great. So go. definitely don't miss that. Yeah, absolutely. I did want to mention here because we, we are reviewing a few films this week. We both saw Mainstream, uh, which is the new IFC Films movie starring Andrew Garfield, Maya Hawk. There's also this new Netflix film called Monster. There is an MTV Films thing called Pink Skies Ahead. So we had, you know, some indie stuff to get into here but there were just so many other movies that have been coming out we really just did not have the time or gumption to cover just about everything
1: yeah it's a weird time for the movies right now I mean usually it's a weird time but right now it's just weird because it's like an influx of stuff that was supposed to come out I guess a year ago now is coming out or starting to come out and then we have like these kind of smaller movies are competing for our attention and then they also have these streaming movies are coming out which are a mix of, you know, originals and things that were supposed to go to theaters are now just going to streaming. So just a weird time to be covering movies. Yeah.
0: A lot of festival movies that got picked up and were probably going to come out in 2020 or something. Or, you know, in the case of Monsters, probably it was supposed to come out years ago.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that was supposed to come out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, probably like 2019 or something. And here we are, I think, four, almost four years later. <laughs> so
1: yeah. And that's, uh, that's also the case for uh, Profile, which I watched over the weekend. We're going to be talking about that hopefully next week. That was uh, yeah. another 2018 movie that's coming out in 2021. That's even weirder for reasons I'll talk about later.
0: Yeah, next week is gonna be such a packed week, so thank you for listening to our show, keeping up with us, we're, we're doing our best to cover what we can cover. Speaking of which though, there is a movie that I was not able to see myself, but we wanted to get it in here for off topics, do a mini review for you. It's called The Waterman, because Will Ashen has seen this one, so we wanted to bring it up. Now Will, you saw The Waterman at TIFF last September, correct?
1: That's right, yeah, and I also did a written review for the film that is now available on the Cinemaholics website
0: well done and yeah this one is directed and produced by david oyelowo he also stars in the film with rosario dawson alfred molina and i believe oprah winfrey is an executive producer if i'm not mistaken so i think so yeah yeah i don't know much about this movie the water man what's your what's your mini review what are we talking this is the first this is the directorial debut of oyelowo too is it not
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, I think he did like a short film in like 2019 or something, but this is his feature, yes, his feature directorial debut. Uh, And as far as a showcase for him as a director, I don't think it's too bad. He definitely, it's a very ambitious film to start with as a filmmaker. Uh, You know, it's a a mix of fantasy and character drama, and it's like kind of in that Pan's Lab Earth mode where it's like not fully for children, but it's like also like a little too whimsical for adults. And that's a very tricky balance to pull off especially like I said for a feature directorial debut and unfortunately I don't think he quite nails the landing here uh I I don't think the balance like I said is quite right I don't think the kid performances are all the way there uh I think the lead kid is very good there's a side character who um I forget the actress's name but I remember her performance being a bit off and that kind of uh that undermined the the film in the later sections of the film but there is a very sweet dynamic, I'd say, between David Oyelowo's character in the film, our lead boy, and his mother, who's played, like you said, by Rosario Dawson. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily do anything you wouldn't expect out of the like sick parent trope, but it is very earnest, very sweet in its approach, and, and I do appreciate that the movie isn't afraid to show some of the... Uh, more dramatic and upsetting things that can happen in a relationship like that. I know some movies like this kind of tend to shy away from showing that, and this movie does a pretty good job of balancing out the, the the realness of it, but also not showing you the full depths of it to, you know, really bring this movie down to a dramatic halt. So I think there's something here. Like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't want to, like, speak too much on it because it's been, I want to say, like, I don't know, probably at this point, over six months since I've seen it, so it's not as fresh in my mind. I just remember feeling like it's like almost there, like there's enough in it that I admire David Oyelowo for taking it on and and uh, trying to do something pretty ambitious as a first time filmmaker. But I don't think he quite sticks a landing here. But if he does direct again, I would be very curious to see what he does next because clearly, he, I mean, you know, he has ambitions, he, he wants to do some big grand stories as a filmmaker in addition to being uh quite an accomplished actor so um i'd give it like a a warm c plus like i just don't think it's quite there enough to really succeed but it's easy to see what he found in the story i I keep thinking it's based on a book or a novel of some sort but i don't think it is actually i believe it's an original screenplay
0: yeah by emma needle
1: yeah it's very easy to see what he saw in in the material And, and i think a better version of this film would have been a monster calls which came out a few years prior, and it's kind of unfortunate that that movie basically does what this movie is trying to do, but better in almost every respect. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not awful, uh, just sort of, okay, lukewarm. If you want to check it out, uh, it does seem like a lot of people are liking and enjoying it, so I guess I'm a little bit more negative than some critics, but not by a whole lot. Just kind of like, it's like a shrug for me. It's like, I think it's almost there. It just doesn't quite pull off the landing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I know I remember hearing this one was supposed to originally be distributed by Disney. So it definitely lost a little bit of interest with me that it it kind of got shuffled over to IRLJE Films. Nothing against IRLJE. I, I love plenty of their output. Uh, sure. That said, though, yeah, just a little little bit of a lack of confidence in the in the project after that. And I have to admit, well, when it comes to like sick parent movies, I that is a mood that I really, really struggle to, like, bring myself to watch. Uh, even even movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, I told you, I was rewatching that film over the past weekend. And, you know, even that subplot, just something about it, just really, uh, ugh, it's, it's rough. And the sure. whole movie yeah. about that, no
1: thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's not the whole, whole movie, but it's a good, sizable chunk of it. Um, but gotcha. I would say, I mean, I think, um, like I said, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the quality of the film that that scared Disney away. I just have to imagine it's because, like I said, it's it's not like a super heartwarming film in the sense of like it's it, like you said, it's like very depressing for early sections of the film, and it does feel like kind of more adult in its approach. So I, I have to imagine that Disney's like I don't we just don't really know how to sell this, okay, like to like like a wide audience, but um, just be, based on kind of having a morose tone and uh you know not, like i said it, like I, I they didn't distribute a monster calls right that was like universal or something like that mhm yeah i could see like someone like universal picking it up but um well i forget the name of the studio I did pick it up i'm i'm, I'm to... yeah RLJE. Yeah. they they've done a few things of late i know so they've been they've been trying to come up and uh i can definitely see the appeal here cuz you know it's another uh star studded film from a up and coming director prominent actor so I can see the play here, it just I guess it doesn't quite work out for me.
0: So it's a a warm C plus, not a heartwarming C plus. Makes sense. There you go. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's ninety-two minutes long and it's a seventy-nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So decent reviews. All right. I wanna talk about Jupiter's legacy real fast here. The new show on Netflix and I watched the first season which is made up of eight episodes and this is like the latest superhero comic book adaptation show that we've oh, wow. gotten i know we've gotten so many in 2021 and i've already talked a bit about my favorite comic book adaptation show this year so far which is invincible the animated show we did a whole episode about invincible season one with mickey and pierre it was blast that, that is a really great show it's based on the robert kirkman comic this one is based on a comic book series that came out through image and it's by it's a mark millar joint and uh, he did it with frank quietly and the, and the whole premise of jupiter's legacy is it's kind of taking like the whole idea of the justice league and sort of mixing it with the incredibles And people might be like, Incredibles, don't you mean Fantastic Four? Because that's where Incredibles is really kind of... No, because I think Incredibles, that whole family dynamic where it's like parents and their kids have superpowers inherited from their parents. It's like that, except there's like a whole Justice League made up of, you know, parents and kids with superpowers. And the show takes place half in the modern day and then half in the late... 1920s early 1930s like right as the great depression is happening and there's this whole origin story happening in the background of the show of like well where did these people get their powers because there's this whole thing where the main guy josh DeMel, he plays a guy named the utopian who's basically i guess kind of like superman you know at least the archetype of superman he's not nearly as strong as superman basically and he and his family they age a lot slower so even though he was like a fully grown man in 1929 in the modern day he's older but he's he looks like he's in his like early 50s or something like that and the show itself kind of like follows this family sort of dealing with like the, the kids are adults now one of them one of them's like very rebellious and she's not very up to the superhero task of protecting the world and then parents are debating whether or not it's okay to kill people they have like this code i'm just gonna say this show this show sucks it's lame i i just i i was so bored during this show i mean like well, you know how you you told us this it's this thing about a superhero fatigue
1: sure i don't think i'm the first to coin this phrase but i I
0: thought you were invented oh really all right. i thought so All
1: right, well <laughs> that's uh it's awful nice of you but i don't believe i am
0: i've i've felt trace amounts of superhero fatigue over the years it was you overdue. Know, it's never been overwhelming like i've i felt it a little bit i felt it a little bit during the falcon and the winter soldier and i felt it a little bit during like spider-man far from home and i felt it during aquaman I, there were just these times where like dr strange right, it's just like ah, man i've this, this whole origin thing I've seen this like I, we're doing this again and no. usually Captain there's something Marvel. about the, yeah Captain Marvel to a, to an extent yeah there's yeah. there's usually something though about those movies that like stands out that has like a a flavor like a spice or, or something that kind of makes it worth it like with Captain Marvel I think like the squirrel stuff and the buddy comedy it's like that's that kind of stand, there's Goose the cat like there, there's stuff that I can look at that I'm like, okay, this is not a worthless experience.
1: Wait, was the squirrel stuff uh was that Flores and Ulysses?
0: No, not Squirrel. Skrull. Squirrel. Oh. S-K-R. <laughs> I see, I see, I see. You thought i mixed up Captain Marvel and Flori and Ulysses?
1: I don't know. I mean you sound pretty tired, so I didn't know if you were like That's true. conflating the two. Okay. What movie enough. would that be? <laughs> I
0: don't want to see that movie. Sure. Flora and Ulysses is another good call out though. That was just a movie that was like, so up a corner of comic books. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, And Jupiter's Legacy is definitely an extension of that. It definitely feels like Netflix really wants to do a a big budget live action series in the same vein as like The Boys and the same vein as like these Marvel shows and Watchmen and all these things. Uh, it has elements of Watchmen, weirdly enough. Yeah, and they've they've done successful comic book adaptations. We like Umbrella Academy over here. I mean, that's that's two seasons. I I really dig Umbrella Academy, but it's very low key. It's not you know it's
1: it's a bit more of like that's a, more like X Men though, right? That's like the it's I'm more to... X Men. Yeah, and
0: it's more like kind of sci fi weird kind of thing. I mean, it, there's it's not like straight up superhero stuff, but it also. Subverts and satirizes superhero and comic book storytelling because yeah. it's sort of about how being a superhero is like messed up and traumatized those kids.
1: It sounds like Umbrella Academy is like what, ironically, what New Mutants should have been.
0: Maybe I mean in a way, yeah. I I don't know because there is like the horror stuff in Umbrella Academy that kind sure. of works a little bit better than or a little bit more consistently. With Jupiter's Legacy, I mean. I, I watched this show and it plays the superhero thing so straight in the year of our Lord 2021. Maybe because it's based on a comic book series that came out in 2013, but even still, I think like Invincible, watching that, that came out in 2003 and that was very subversive. It was bringing a lot of gore and commentary on like the violence of being a superhero. With Jupiter's Legacy, the hook of it is... There's this old guard, a golden age of superheroes worried about passing on their legacy to their kids because they don't think their kids can deal. It's Baby Boomers and Millennials, the, the superhero show. Like, no thanks. Like, it's just as a story, I just could not get into this. I, there was like a, a beaming ray of hope in this show where we get introduced to this guy who he has no powers. His dad is like, was a superhero who became evil and he has no powers, but he has this device that lets him teleport. And he's played by this guy, Ian Quinlan. He gets a whole episode basically to himself. And I was like, this is the show. Like this guy, like this is your protagonist. I care about him. I sympathize with him. If it was about him and this super lame like union of superheroes where the antagonists or at the you know not antagonists they're villains but like they they are obstacles in the way of like good things happening in this world which they're kind of hinting at there you go you've got a show right there but then it kind of tosses them aside and then no we gotta go back to Superboy or the son of the utopian river who's like angsty and I
1: it? So you're saying like if there was like a superhero show or project where there's like a bureaucracy of superheroes and like it's become so like confluted with like different like rules and regulations that like superheroes are kind of like confined. Is that what you're suggesting? Like and that would be like the pitch of the show?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because they really don't have that element in full force in this it really just comes down to like you can't kill people when even to save lives you know it's 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 a whole show set around the premise of the last few minutes of man of steel which like who wants that
1: you know like that um civil war captain america like if they if the what's this this, what's the the, sokovia accords yeah well see see that
0: stuff that stuff you uh, to me there is an interesting thing there where it's like superheroes who are being like restrained by the government and and stuff like that getting in their yeah, way yeah that's
1: what i thought you were suggesting yeah you know? like like if like superheroes are like kind of so bogged down by like you know like regulations and rules and stuff that like you know like there would be like this kind of like oppressive force i don't know i don't know if that's a good idea but it's like kind of interesting it would be a little different
0: a little bit and and i assume that's what they want to go for in parts the problem with this show is that that's barely in it 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 really just comes down to like the the kids and the superheroes hating their lives and then we cut back to this like weirdly realized backstory in like the 1920s and 1930s which imagine a whole show centered around the most boring aspects of an origin story for me the most boring aspect of of an origin story is the part in between something bad happening and the part where they get their powers so you spend all of this time of like how they're going to get their powers and it's so tedious and it's so slow and it's just the pacing in the show is just awful and then after watching the show and like i don't know apparently has its fans it's number one on netflix right now I don't understand it. Like I, I was watching this and I wanted to bow out so many times. Um, and I wish I, I wish I could have, <laughs> but I was covering the show for the Spool. So, that said, I was not a fan of Jupiter's Legacy. If I'm sounding too harsh, though, and I, you know, maybe people do like this for reasons. I just are missing me. Hit us up. <laughs> send, send, send me a message. I want to hear some positive thoughts on this. I want to hear an argument for like why people might enjoy the show because I don't see it.
1: It sounds like it's missing the the Matthew Vaughn touch that the other Mark Millar adaptations had for better or for worse. And maybe
0: I think Vaughn has such a good knack for like to like, there's nothing about this thing. Technically that's impressive. Like they clearly have a big budget, but like the look of these superheroes is laughable. Like their costumes and Josh Duhamel looks bizarre as if an older person here, like his like white look, long hair it's just like it does not work here and i mean leslie bibb pulls it off because it's leslie bibb but yeah she's great otherwise yeah and they have this weird like make, like coked up makeup they're putting on ben daniels and i ben daniels what are you doing man this is so so beneath you uh, i i very much wish that uh, th- this had gone a little bit differently so that is jupiter's legacy i do not recommend checking it out especially if you have any sort of fatigue with superheroes. I mean, I'll just Will, you've commented how you think a lot of the Marvel movies look way too much the same and like they yes. kind of have a bland visual style, particularly they with do. like the Civil War airport scene where they're running at each other.
1: I don't know if that was the one I pointed out, but sure, the general aesthetic of Marvel is is meant to be so familiar and boilerplate so as to, you know, not make the stylistic jumps between each character and property too jarring, but yeah, I feel like it makes visually most of these movies kind of plain and and shallow looking.
0: Imagine two notches below that. Okay, and that's where we're at here, and it's played seriously and straight. True, that's Jupiter's Legacy. There you so, go. There you go. All right. Well, that's enough for off topics. Let's talk about a movie.
1: Two uh, two things we loved. So hopefully we're gonna jump into another thing that we just loved.
0: <laughs> well, you know, like yeah. him or not. That is the tagline for the new movie, Mainstream. Who am I? What do you wanna do with your life, Frankie? I don't know. Right, what kind of stuff you wanna make? I think you got potential. I wanna make a next picture. Really? Yeah.
1: What, now? Yeah, right now. Yo, what's up? Thanks for
0: checking out this video.
1: My little niece worships these guys who do and say nothing. Yo, why is my existence so lit? And promote a lifestyle of doing and saying nothing.
0: Hashtag swimming pool, hashtag cocktail, hashtag this pineapple life.
1: You can't be following me. Like, I'm no one special, man. Holy.
0: You've got talent. Do you want to be the guys that made two cool videos? Or do you want to be no one special? This is the beginning. People came.
1: Oh my god! This is all about it!
0: We're all here!
1: It's crazy how good this is, huh?
0: We have phone or no phone. I'm Charles Melton, and I'm here with no one special. Then we have the game show.
1: Bad idea. Good idea? I love you, no one special. This is just feeling so bright. We're about to go stratospheric.
0: Mainstream was directed by Giacopla the granddaughter of Francis Ford Coppola. And I believe, I think she's the niece of Sofia Coppola, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah I think that's, that's how it works out.
1: Yeah. yeah, Sofia Coppola is her aunt, I believe.
0: Yeah. Uh, Gia Coppola, you've heard of, it. she's she's done a bunch of music videos. She directed, her first film was uh, Palo Alto from yeah. 2013. I saw that. Solid movie. Yeah, yeah, Emma yeah, Roberts, right. James Franco. Interesting uh-huh. movie. Yeah,
1: uh, Better than the source material, I think, from what I can recall.
0: Her new movie is called Mainstream, and it stars... Andrew Garfield, Maya Hawke, Nat Wolf, Jason Schwartzman, and I was not expecting to see Johnny Knoxville in this movie, but he's in here as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Star-studded cast.
0: Very star-studded. Very star-studded. I, I was uh, not expecting a lot of faces here. I was not expecting this movie to look like it did. It's a very indie movie, but it has some uh, production budget here.
1: I mean, it's a Coppola production. You know, they they, they tend to get... Uh, some clout, they they have uh, connections in Hollywood. I don't think that's a sure. shock. Sure, um,
0: this was produced by a, a automatic, by the way.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say though, I I don't even know if Jason Schwartzman was even signed up. I just feel like anytime there's a Coppola production, he just shows up by obligation. He's just like, I don't know what's going on. I just I got the date <laughs> and the place. I just show up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm obligated by law to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, this premiered at. The Venice Film Festival last September, around the same time as TIFF, and ISC is now releasing this. In a lot of ways, to me, it feels almost like a spiritual follow-up to Andrew Garfield's last L.A. strange noir movie, Under the Silver Lake. I know a lot of people are bringing that movie
1: up for good reason. I mean, tonally, I can see that. Narratively, I don't really see as much. Character-wise, I can sort of see it.
0: I think I think what people are comparing is the creative polarization of this movie, combined with okay. its setting and its commitment to its own bit. That is that is I think the connected tissue between the
1: two movies. Sure. Well, they're both divisive films. I I'll agree That's with you what I'm there. saying. Yeah. yeah.
0: They're they're movies that I think make people think, and so. <laughs> And they make people feel a lot of things they may not want to feel. So if you go to Letterboxd, you are going to see a range. You know, I'm seeing one stars, I'm seeing two stars, yeah. I'm also seeing three stars, five stars, four stars from people. It's it is a mix. I'm seeing people who aren't even grading it and just like harding it because they they just want to stay out of the drama.
1: Well, for me, I guess the difference between this and Under the Silver Lake is that. I think whether you dig under a silver lake or not, you know, that's kind of a personal thing. I think that movie is what it is. Like, I think it's very thoughtful in its approach. Like, I, I think, like, the complaints that some people make about it aren't really on base because I think the movie is pretty well aware of how much of a scumbag that main, that main character is. And it's just like, it's kind of doing a satirization of a very specific type of millennial that lives in LA. And this movie, I think, is trying to do something similar and it's very confident as well, but I don't think it's quite as secure in its tone or execution.
0: Okay, well, dang, already getting your review out. Well, we haven't yeah. even said what it's about. Sure. Let's let's tell the listeners, because I have a feeling they haven't seen the trailer for this. I, I had not seen the trailer. I barely had heard of it before we looked at uh, reviewing this one. Sure. But it was shot in 2019, so it's been on the shelf for a minute, and it was gonna originally uh, screen at Telluride last year, but you know, COVID happened, uh, it did get to Venice though. And this movie is not just directed by Gia Coppola, she also co-wrote it with Tom Stewart. And we spend most of the first part of the movie with Maya Hawk's character, the co-lead of the film. She plays a young woman named Frankie Maya Hawke. Of course, we've talked about her with like Stranger Things, re- most recent season. She's kind of coming into her own as a Hollywood actor.
1: Yeah, I just realized the only time I've actually seen her in anything was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So this was, I guess, indirectly my introduction to her, which didn't feel like it because I'm just so used to the Internet talking about her. (laughs) So it it took me a minute to be like, oh, yeah, this is like the first like starring role I've seen from her.
0: Yeah, because in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think she was like one of the Manson... Yeah, she has and like, like that.
1: maybe like five minutes of screen time or something. Maybe
0: Yeah, she's like in the very end of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, so Maya Hawk, she is definitely like carrying this film in the very beginning, and she she has like a dead end job at this bar that has like talent where we do we do get to see uh Colleen Camp show up. That's fun. And she has a run in with this guy named link who is very eccentric very just says a lot of stuff that whoa he's doing that in public and he's played of course by andrew garfield at frankie's job she of course is being crushed on hard by one of the other bartenders and they're kind of friends he's friend zoned he's played by nat wolf and his name is jake and eventually Maya hawk kind of her her character kind of comes to Link and is like, I, I need to film you. Like she sees him as somebody who could make her internet famous. And that's like her main goal right now. She's definitely, she's, she's not in school anymore. She's definitely not reaching the potential of her YouTube channel. She is like early on in this film, which I appreciate it. It starts with that trope of like something reportedly going viral, but then of course it's not viral. She's just like, it's got like 2000 views. And I got a little kick out of that. I was like, that's realistic. (laughs) But um, that's usually what happens there. But that said, she eventually concocts a plan because she thinks this, this guy, Link, he's so bizarre. He's so creative that if she just films him doing stuff or tries to put him in certain situations, people will really like him and people will subscribe to him and she can sort of produce a YouTube channel. So this film is definitely a commentary on the Internet and what people like and subscribe to, right? It is about influencer culture. And we see these three characters because Jake kind of comes on as a writer. Of course, he just wants to get close to Frankie. He's got a little crush. And there's like a little bit of a love triangle going on here. Least interesting thing about the movie though, I think what's most interesting about this movie is the way Andrew Garfield's performance really informs a lot of what you're either going to like or love about, or sorry, like or love, what you're either going to like or n- don't like about this movie. And it, its takeaway is really, really tricky. There's some there's some stuff in here. Will, what did you think of this movie?
1: <laughs> well, I guess I'm kind of of two minds on the film because I think the movie itself, like the movie that Gia Coppola wants to make is the type of film that I think is trying to be very forward-thinking, very much like, if we don't do something about this, this is what's going to happen. But it feels like that's already happened, and we've already exceeded that point. So coming out of the gate, it already kind of feels dated. Like, this feels like the type of commentary we would have gotten in, like, 2014, maybe 2015, about internet culture and influence no, culture. No, I
0: disagree. You disagree? 2014 is way too long ago. I think this influencer culture is way more like 2019 2018 okay. like this brand fair enough bit.
1: yeah all right yeah I'll, I'll split the difference and say 2018 does that sound more accurate
0: I think that's fair because that's eighth grade you know sure. that's that's when that's really starting to come into its own or swell because
1: I'm thinking like you know like the Pauls like Logan Jake Paul and like like the vine stars are kind of trans they're they're, they're starting to shift into YouTube culture and like that's where that's kind of coming into prevalence.
0: That was re- but 2014. That was really early for it. Like I don't think it, it was nearly at the prominence yeah. it is today.
1: All right, I, my bad. I uh, that was too early. But um, yeah. So 2018 is what. Sorry, I
0: didn't mean have... to scold you or come sure. off that sure. way.
1: Sure, <laughs> no, fair enough. It, it's a good point. 2018 was more what I meant to say. Um, but like basically what I'm trying to say is like that that era of like YouTubers are kind of becoming like a thing. Like that's something that young people want to kind of aspire to, in like a way that's like like older generations don't really get it even like older millennials don't really get it that much but like you know like like these like type of youtubers are becoming like their own sort of movie stars for a younger generation and it's like kind of weird cuz like their brand doesn't make a lot of sense it's just like their general lifestyles which are kind of like flamboyant and over the top and like they don't really have like much of an identity besides like kind of like loud editing tactics and stuff like that and i get like that's something they satirize and i think that's something that's worth parodying but like the movie itself kind of feels like what's saying about that doesn't really feel like anything we've really haven't already said at this point like especially with all the trials I've gone through with the Pauls themselves like they're such larger in life internet figures at this point that they kind of like they almost feel like parodies themselves at this point <laughs> Um so it's like uh, it's almost kind of redundant to what this movie is trying to say about them or anyone like them but at the same time like I, I do agree with you that I think the Andrew Garfield factor is what kind of wins me in this movie's favor. Cause I was pretty much with it for the first, like I want to say 45 minutes or so, like what it is like kind of setting up this oddball link character and his, uh, correspondence with, uh, Maya Hawk's character and like, kind of like the little like weird meet cute that they have the very like coppola s like odd visual aesthetics where it's like kind of like the, the, like the silent film era stuff and like, just like kind of odd assorted, uh, meetups and like different like like this just, just the general like enthusiasm of like getting into filmmaking and finding an audience stuff like that is very charming. When it kinda goes into the um network era where it's like kind of like doing like a YouTube version of network. It's it feels kinda tired and outdated. It's just like, okay, this this type of commentary feels old, it feels tired. It doesn't really even make a whole lot of sense like doing a talk show in a traditional format. But for YouTube does that that stuff was where it started to lose me, but then it started to kind yeah. of win me over again when it's going into like facing a crowd stuff where it's like Andrew Garfield's character without getting into spoilers is like kind of on the precipice of like being outed or like kind of like being like so huge on the internet that like the, the cultural backsh- uh, backlash is starting to come in yeah. and like he's like kind of pushing against it and I'm like, okay, by the end of it, I'm kind of like, I don't think this really works, but there's enough here that I'm, like, kind of endeared by it. And I, I admire the movie for taking so many big swings that, like, I appreciate the movie for even, like, just trying to do something that's, like, kind of bombastic and absurd, even if I don't, like I said, think it's really saying anything new or relevant about what internet culture or influence culture is right now. But I, I almost admire the movie for being so spunky and uh, weird and outlandish that I, I, I find myself kind of charmed by it, even if I don't really think... It's that good of a film.
0: I, yeah, I, I struggle a little bit with this one for a lot of those reasons. Now, Gia Coppola, she she's younger than Andrew Garfield in real life, the director of this film. She's 34. Andrew Garfield's 37. And a few things were very present in my mind while watching this. First of all, it's very awkward seeing Maya Hawke in like a sort of like, love thing with andrew garfield i'll really give away the details of it because it is kind of a it's not it's not that straightforward
1: yeah it's not super clear how old andrew garfield's character is supposed to be
0: right and so if you just they never really say and so if you just kind of like take it in in real life this is a 22 year old woman who really looks like she's fresh out of high school who is like lusting after a dude who's pushing 40. (laughs) And I don't think the movie really quite reckons with that. I think it kind of is just hoping that you assume Andrew Garfield is around the same age as like, say Nat Wolf, who's like in his mid twenties, you know well, he's
1: got those blonde highlights, so that automatically takes ten years off of him. true
0: true <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so some of that stuff, I see the logic, the math, the science of like this is you gotta you gotta keep Andrew Garfield in here, you gotta cast him while he's still got some sort of like youthful veneer and i'm not saying that that's not something that happens in real life of course like of course you know women in their early 20s are gonna date men who are much older than them or or at least have like some sort of like thing with them i don't know that said th- yeah there was just one element of the movie that i was kind of like and i don't know like that in the the like the game show thing where i was like that's your idea I think where this movie loses me is when it charts the eventual like rise of the YouTube channel, because what I was hoping this movie was going to show is that first of all, like if you put all of the writing and the production into the hands of this woman who is like clearly has like a very superficial like set of ideas of like a YouTube channel she wants to make. I don't know. It just sort of like assumes like through a montage this like meteoric rise and I I, I don't know I didn't buy it like I did not buy that this would have happened I think that like one of two things has to happen you either have to push a little harder on the influence of the Jason Schwartzman character who kind of comes in and is like I'll give you all a break here but he seems to be profoundly hands-off and I just don't think that's really quite how it works like i really think like i'm not saying that like youtube influencers do all this stuff solely through like agents and and producers and things like that i think that like this is just sort of saying kind of indirectly that that's all you need is like the budget and your super individual ideas are just going to like shine through and i didn't quite follow that
1: well yeah it just like like most things the movie kind of feels like two ideas at once it's like the idea that you're suggesting that like this older producer influence is like there and like, kind of like the devil on their shoulder, like that's tempting them to the dark side of entertainment. Like that idea, like that he would be pushing them into like their worst impulses and stuff like that is an idea. But there's also like the idea that like, he's this older guy who's like so profoundly out of touch, but wants to keep his relevance. So he's just like, Hey, you know, like just whatever gets the clicks, maybe, you know, just like that idea. And it's like, you kind of have to, pick one for the character and then he's kind of disappears for the second half of the movie after a point which is also mm-hmm. weird and it's just like yeah it's i think that's kind of my general issue with the movie is that like it's trying to be very specific and satirize a particularly new era of uh entertainment culture in a very like sneering and biting way but it's not really too super direct in terms of like who it wants to target and like who it's really poking at either due to a like, general like lack of understanding of what that culture is or like not really like having a firm point in terms of like what it wants to say about that culture and its influence. So it feels like that's, I agree with you that like, I think by that midpoint, that's where it started to lose me as well. Cause it's like, this feels like so out of date to like, like, like the, the idea of like what they believe, like the rise of influence culture is just feels like what a boomer would kind of feel like it is when it's like something totally different now. Exactly. Yeah. And just like that's, I agree with you. Like, cause I think the spunky, like, kids are kind of like trying to find their fame. And like you said, like, they have this like kind of superficial idea of like what internet culture is or like what internet fame is. That's actually kind of charming and sweet. And I kind of like those moments. But then the second half is where it, it dipped away.
0: I think, I think this movie would have worked so much better if they had always been on like the cusp of something that would have pushed them into like like the stratosphere
1: like a nightcrawler thing
0: exactly yeah kind of like that just 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 this like zone of like you're not quite there yet and that's what's like pushing them to try to go that one extra step further to what they think that they want but i don't know the movie kind of like pushes them to like they reach basically they get what they want and then it's all about like well how do we keep it how do we maintain it and I think that would have been more interesting if they had been they had re- reached that zone of, like, maybe they have only have, like, 100,000 subscribers or something. You know what I'm saying? Instead of it going, like, way farther than that. And they're like, we're almost there. Like, we're getting so close to this thing yep. taking off, but people are starting to lose interest. How do we, like, what do we do to really get this thing even farther? And, like, yep. that kind of pressure, that tension, the Jason Schwartzman person being like, Maybe starting to lose faith in them. I don't know. This movie's missing that because it's missing what really drives Link to do what he does in this movie. I think that he just he just like wanders through the script here.
1: I think I would be fine with that in terms of Link if he didn't become the main character in the second half of the film. And I understand why he becomes the main character because he's like the most dynamic personality here, and he's like also the star of the film with Andrew Garfield. So that's like that kind of makes sense. But like you said, he's like kind of like a blank slate. In terms of a character and like when Mia Hawk or sorry Maya Hawk is um, no longer becoming like the lead focus here it, it kind of loses its way because it's like her character is like it's not super original but it is sort of defined and like you said like there's so much ambiguity that's thrown onto Andrew Garfield's character that we can't really emotionally latch on to anything with him because like the movie has been so vague about who he is for most of the film. So it's just like, yeah, it's just like it just kind of feels like like you can kind of do, like I said, like the Nightcrawler thing where like we're watching a man like become like like as you were joking, like the Joker or something (laughs) like like he kind of just becomes like this like this parody of himself and like kind of just like loses his way due to fame or like this like power hungry uh, drive to like, you know, to find like that next step that you're applying. Or we can kind of focus on the producer. It's like watching us in horror as like, you know, like this person that like. This well like you know kind of eccentric but like good-hearted guy who's like wants to send a message about the hypocrisies of internet culture like becomes like a parody of himself like you can kind of do both but like I said it's like two ideas at once and the movies kind of doing both without doing either yeah
0: I think I think I'm gonna stick to that because I that whole idea of like this really does feel like Nightcrawler for influencer culture at least that's what it's trying to do I don't think it's as successful but I, I do respect the hustle here. I really respect what it's doing at the very end, when it's starting to really showcase the like twistedness of this character.
1: The, the face in the crowd moment, basically.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, which I like. I, I that won me over again a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some really great iconography in this movie. We haven't talked about it on a very technical level. Besides that, it looks good. I mean, like we were saying at the very beginning
1: yeah i mean it's probably visually the best looking film of the three films we're going to talk about this week
0: oh easily for yeah, me yeah yeah i just yeah I, th- I think that it's like dynamic it's there's it, i was thinking of like one perfect shot like <laughs> several times in this movie and I, I really want to hype up maya hawk here i don't think she has the best writing in this movie but she's selling something really shallow and what could have been really insufferable if we had a lesser performer here I've said before she's young and she's still kind of like clearly like finding her way as an actor But I there's something about her presence like she really has like I think a lot of electricity on screen Without trying that hard like she's never like fighting Andrew Garfield for attention or she knows like her character is able just let him steal scenes but you don't lose her, which is what makes it even sadder that the writing is what does that to her later yes. in the film to your point. And that's, that's a big disappointment for me. I would have liked this a lot more if we had really stuck to her perspective throughout the whole way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not super sold on her yet as an actress, but I think like you're saying, like I think it just felt that comes more from like inexperience. Like I don't think she's just like I, I do agree with you. I think she has that presence. And I think she has like the it factor that could make her a star. But like I don't I don't know if she really has defined herself enough as an actress to really like sell a movie or like carry a movie at this point. But um, yeah, she does have like like kind of similar to her father like that that ability to like be like a stand up performer and natural in a scene, but not like overtake the scene in like a big sort of way. And I I I do admire that from her at this point in her career. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely curious to see what she does next. Like I said, I've only really seen her in one other thing cuz I haven't watched Stranger Things so maybe that's where uh, people are kind of seeing more of her star power at this point but um I'm definitely curious nonetheless.
0: Yeah, she but yeah, if you look at all three of those performances, clearly clearly she's she's having a moment. Uh like she has potential here that is really strong and we we didn't mention yeah, she's uh, Ethan Hawke's daughter as well as Uma Thurman, which you can Definitely tell there's a scene in this movie hearkening straight back to Pulp Fiction <laughs> very directly. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. We haven't mentioned Nat Wolf much because he really is the big afterthought of this movie. I guess that's kind of the point. I think I, I don't mind Nat Wolf as an actor or anything. I've liked him in a, a few things, but yeah, th- this was definitely one part of the movie that was very very weak for me it was very tropey i mean I've, you've seen this guy in so many movies like you know what's coming it's
1: even on the screenplay seems like trying to kind of write him out just like yeah let's just do this thing we have to do with him all right back to andrew garfield
0: <laughs> yeah yeah you're just you know for this character i think at this point you really got to add something extra to the to the character and they, they try a few things are like well he needs to be like the conscience you know and i don't know i don't i don't think that's really well realized but
1: i think you could have um done something like like maybe like like he had like a troublesome past or something and they have to distance themselves from him and they have to like make a moral choice between like friendship or fame that could have been interesting but like yeah like they just kind of do the normal like he likes her and doesn't like the ideas that they're spouting and stuff like that so oh well yeah
0: boho you yeah, know it's like uh, yeah that's very high it's very high school and i i guess like this movie is trying to treat these kids like kids in that way this definitely doesn't feel like a gen z interpretation though like it really they really don't feel like that at all and they're not gen z i think literally yeah. i think they're i think Maya hawk is technically gen z or like yeah, no, she right understood. at the cusp
1: um well i think if she's 22 she would be gen z right
0: I think so, yeah, because I think millennials are, like, 23, 24. So she's, like, right yeah. on the line. And then, yeah, Nat Wolf, Andrew Garfield are, like, comfortable millennials. Like, kind of well, a Well, definitely pull Garfield.
1: But, yeah. yeah. Um, Nat Wolf, I'm not sure how old he is, but um, I, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I just have a feeling that, like, the movie for, like, this moment in history, <laughs> this, like, Gen Z YouTube influencer culture, I think the the defining anthem of this time is probably not going to come from a millennial or if it does it's going to be a much a younger one uh no disrespect to gia or tom stewart i actually don't know if tom stewart is a millennial or anything like that so I, I just think that it probably needs to come from like that voice to really make sense of it for other people in my opinion
1: yeah um i mean i, I don't think you saw spree from last year that that had um what's his face steve Yes, from, from Stranger,
0: Stranger Things. Things. What, oh, I forget uh, his name.
1: Whatever. Um, I apologize, because I, I, I thought he was really good in Spree. And that was a movie that's like kind of trying to also parody and satirize influence culture. And I'm not saying that that movie is amazing, but I think it's a lot better and a lot more willing to take risks in terms of like what it's saying about influence culture. And it's also kind of doing the Nightcrawler thing. And I, I just kept thinking about that movie and being like, you know, like, like I said, not an amazing movie, but like that movie is clearly trying to do this whole thing. And just doing it a lot better and a lot more realistic in terms of style and, and approach. Like, the narrative of it gets super outlandish and weird and stuff like that, which I like.
0: See, I don't know about Spree, but I do know, like, Nerve. You know, yeah, speaking like of nerve movies with them or Roberts. I think Nerve is kind of a fun way to tell this story sure. using extremes, right? But, it, yeah, ultimately, that that's the, that movie's about the same sort of thing. So, I don't know. I... I don't think this is it, but right. I, I, I'll i admit I was absorbed throughout this movie. This is one of those movies that I liked watching because I really like these performances. But then the more I thought about it since I've seen it, I've been like, that was kind of shallow in a lot of ways. I'm, I, it's not a film I think I'll ever revisit, honestly. But I think there's a lot of cool stuff. I, I'm a C+. Plus.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm a C plus as well. Like I, like I said um, to you before, like I, I can't imagine someone who's Gen Z watching this and being like, "Yes, this is what it's like right now." Like I just imagine them it. being like, "Oh, yeah," like I just imagine them being like, "Oh, this is cringe," like this is like not, not like what it is right now. Like this is a millennial or a boomer trying to to scold us for being us, and it's just like, yeah, like I, like that's the other thing too is like the movie does get pretty preachy. Towards the second half, and that that also kind of undermines it because it just feels like, you know, like old man yells the cloud kind of thing. It just like okay, like you know, I mean, like I, I like obviously it's like a satire, so it's going to be critical of this generation. But at the same time, like you know, like it just kind of like if it's if it's also being out of date and trying to school with you, that just feels like extra cringy. But I do agree with you. Like I was never really bored watching this. Like I was constantly, uh, constantly intrigued by Andrew Garfield's performance. I was constantly kind of amused by like where he was going, he was willing to go as an actor with this character. And I think as a footnote in his career, as it's like, like now he's doing like kind of more character driven stuff with, um, silence. And like you said, under the silver lake and even, uh, Paxaw Ridge, which is an amazing film either, but I think he's good in that. Like, I think he's clearly like taking a lot of big risks, taking a lot of big swings as an actor, kind of similar to Robert Pattinson a few years ago, following the success of twilight. Where he has like this clout and he's like, okay, let me see what I can do with this. Let me get weird with it. And I admire <laughs> yeah. that. And I think that's like, I think that's the appeal here is that like, like if you're doing a retrospective on Andrew Garfield, you're going to show clips from this movie and be like, oh wow. Like if you like show like the end scene, like, okay, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to check that out. Like that's a weird performance. Like let's, let's see what this guy's going to do. And
0: yeah. How come nobody talked about this movie back in 2021? Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that great. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, as a showcase for him and, and like you said, um, as a a star vehicle for Mia Hawk, I think it's a good footnote movie in terms of, like, okay, like, this is, like, a showcase of what they can do. Let's see other directors do something better with them or, like, uh, better movies, I mean, because I think Gia Koplag, I liked her first movie. I think she's, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's carving an interesting little niche for herself. Like, I don't think she's trying to be... Francis Ford Coppola, and I don't think she's even trying to be, uh, Sophia Coppola, but you know she she definitely wants to to talk about a a certain generational divide, like certain kind of cultures in L.A. and stuff like that. And I'm willing to explore that with other movies. Like I said, she's the babysitter. Yeah, I liked um Paulo Alto. Like I think she has a very unique little like style and stuff like that. That that seems to to kind of ring true to like what she wants to say, but.
0: And that's not LA to be clear. Palo Alto is Northern California. Sorry.
1: Sorry, with the California's way I meant. Um, but um with a a um where was I going with that? I don't know. I lost my train of thought there. But anyway. Sorry.
0: You like Gia Coppola.
1: Yeah, I like Gia Coppola. I think she, yeah, I think she's she's uh doing her own little thing and, and I, I, I applaud her for that. I think she's kind of lost her way with this one, which, you know, tends to happen with sophomore films and hopefully the next one's better.
0: Yeah, what are you gonna do? All right, well that is mainstream and uh, it was our main stream this past week it is available to watch right now on demand you can rent or buy it and it's only 94 minutes long clean hour 34 and it's rotten tomato score have you seen us rotten tomatoes
1: i saw it was like 27 percent.
0: it's at 28 now
1: okay somebody liked it
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> somebody somebody gave it it's only out of 18 reviews so yeah. i i'm not sure but uh, how it's going to go from there but it's yeah average rating is 3.8 out of 10 so big old yikes uh, i think it's it's another under the silver lake in that respect at least there you go another connective
1: i mean i'm curious to see what the the movie's legacy is after this like i said like like people did find under the silver lake and like i said i do like that True. movie i like it quite a bit yeah um cory and i talked about it in a bonus episode i believe on this very podcast Um, and, uh, I, I could maybe see that being the case here, like this movie kind of finding its audience just based on Andrew Garfield's performance, but I don't know, I'm not really seeing it, but who knows?
0: Let's talk about a new film that just came out on Netflix and I use new very sparingly. This is the film we were talking about earlier that premiered at Sundance in, you guessed it, 2018, January, 2018 as well. It was acquired by Netflix and it's only just now getting its release three years later. And for that reason, you're gonna see Kelvin Harrison Jr. in this movie playing a high schooler. Fresh face. Very difficult for yeah. me to like put those things together because I'm like, oh my gosh, Because like, 'cause we've seen him in a bunch of stuff lately where he's he's like in his mid to late twenties. Well, in he was uh... a lot of movies
1: a high school were in the, the two movies he did fairly recently around this time, right? Loose and, um,
0: Loose and Waves. Uh, waves. Yeah. 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 Very, very good films. Uh, I really, really liked Loose and yeah, it's just, it, I think he got to this point. I think he was also kind of young in, uh, it comes at night if I remember, but I think though he, he's like in his, I think he's like 26 or something like that. I think at this point, I just i can't see him that way anymore maybe because after seeing like the high note and just a couple other things he did last year i just i see him as a high schooler and i I just look like i'm looking back in time or something at a movie that came out years ago i guess it did so
1: looking at like a yearbook from like the past like oh okay yeah there you go yeah
0: wow (laughs) hey you grow up yeah uh that's it he is the the main star in this film alongside jennifer ely tim blake nelson asap rocky john david washington jennifer hudson yeah. naz jones and jeffrey wright
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's you can tell this movie's from the past because john david washington you know now an actual star yeah is like playing this like minor supporting role
0: <laughs> that's right that's right yeah yeah because i think when this came out yeah he was just about to come out with black klansman which uh, was kind of the beginning of yeah his uh his first wave of star power there
1: well he had ballers before that but yeah
0: yeah, I think I think the Black Klansman, like in the film scene, is what really kind of oh for sure because of the Oscar yeah nomination. Yeah. So yeah, and then yeah, uh, Anthony Mandler directed this film. He's like a music video director mostly. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff with Verona. Oh,
1: really wow. Who could to- who could have told you that?
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. All
1: right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I I I sorry. I don't mean to jump into your your synopsis. <laughs>
0: you see, you, got, you already got the takes coming um yeah the screenplay is by rana blank and cole wiley and janice schaefer and it's based on a novel actually called monster by walter dean myers which is interesting because when this premiered at sundance in 2018 i was at that sundance fe- festival and i remember this movie it was called something else i think it was called like all rise or something and i didn't see it then but it it's just called Monster Now, which makes sense because, like, the, the movie really, like, sticks to that whole thing of, like, this kid is viewed by a lot of people as a monster for his alleged involvement in a robbery that goes wrong and ends the life of a shop clerk. And this film is a legal drama which tracks him as just a 17-year-old kid from... A really good family. He's never gotten into trouble before. He just, you know, wrong place, wrong time kind of situation where some other kids on the block that he knows, one that he kind of has like a begrudging friendship with, played by ASAP Rocky, kind of pressures him into, you know, maybe, maybe doing some unsavory things. We're not really sure for a lot of this movie what goes down exactly eventually though the cops pin the murder on him as an accomplice and he goes to jail in the very beginning of this movie and we see if his lawyer played by jennifer ely is able to convince the jury that he's not a monster Uh, that is that is what the prosecution brings the very beginning of this movie um the uh the, the prosecutors played by here by paul ben victor and uh, people probably recognize him from, I think, The Wire. One of his more recognizable roles there. But yeah, I mean, this movie kicks off with like he's looking at this kid who's like you would never expect. Like we know because of the perspective of this movie, like it's just a kid, you know he he didn't do anything like deserving to be in this situation. It seems like, and so the movie is a lot of like going through the legal proceedings of it, but then we get a lot of flashbacks into what his life like was like before this incident. We see his family life, we see his relationship with his little brother. He lives in New York. Kinda kind, of, kind of, of means. His dad is like an interior designer and he has a lot of privilege, but he also has like a curiosity of the more unsavory elements of his neighborhood. And it's something this movie I don't think really addresses in a very tactful way in terms of like his fascination with this and because we see that he's a filmmaker he wants to or he's a film student and he wants to like document he wants to have like a story and so that is the closest thing we get to a like why would he engage with people he knows are bad news and i think the takeaway of this movie is that because he feels like he should have like a life experience i guess or something like that i'm not not 100 percent sure on that take but that said it's uh you know this is a very straightforward down the middle kind of movie i i was with it you know enough and i I found its message to be fairly i'd I'd say 75 percent interesting (laughs) i don't don't know if interesting is the right word there are elements though this movie where i was very split on what it's really trying to say I I, the, I had I had I struggled a little bit with this movie toward the end of it in particular. I don't know where you stand. Will. did you like this?
1: Um, not particularly, but I don't know if it's exactly for the reasons that you're suggesting. Well, I'll have to kind of uh, parse out what exactly you meant by the message. But um, in terms of the execution of the film itself, um, I I guess I found myself kind of uh, in a similar boat where I was like kind of with it and kind of against it. The movie takes as you were suggesting like a lot of like different visual styles and cues throughout the film like I, I in some ways I think it works like the movie has very uh three different timelines that are very clearly done in different visual styles like every time we're in the prison it's kind of like damp and dark and it's like close up shots like hand camera style and then when we're in the courtroom it's like very starkly lit like you know like a lot of dolly cams or like you know just like different like very staged shots and then when we're um Outside the prison, and the flashback scenes, like there's like kind of it's like warm hues and like everything's kind of like 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 a light brown or like kind of like like uh, hazy. And like there's like definitely like a lot of like it's very clear, like the visual style of the film was thought upon a lot and, and definitely like the way it's edited and compacted together. Like there's clearly a lot of thought that went into the making of this film. But I also kind of feel like the execution of the film is so heavily thought over that like it's so cut up in like how it's trying to tell the story that the story itself doesn't really get a lot of time to the focus on the humanity of the characters and really fleshing them out outside of um, just generally like what the presentation of the film is like we we spend like we clearly have a like some strong actors here and giving good performances like Kelvin Harrison Jr. I think is doing a good job like I really like um, Jeffrey Wright's performance in this Jennifer Hudson I think is good like uh, Tim Blake Nelson's always nice to see him Jennifer Ellie. I think she's pretty good here, but I just don't really get a lot of time to understand them as humans. Like I feel so much of the, the movie is focused on how it's trying to present these characters, how it's trying to visually approach this narrative that the execution of it just kinda of undermines the, the dramatic urgency urgency of the film to the point where it kind of overindulges itself to the point of being like kind of melodramatic at times and like overly heighten everything to the point where it does kind of lose the raw humanity that I think is vital to telling the story, especially a character piece like this, where it's like you said, like kind of focusing on like the character himself, trying to find his voice, trying to find himself while also battling the perception of the public and how they might view him and his association with this crime. And, uh, I just think it's kind of a given pull. Like I admire the director for, for doing something kind of visually interesting throughout the film, but at the same time, I think it kind of works against him throughout.
0: Yeah. I, I think you're going to find me guilty of not liking this movie very much. And I think it's because I just found it to be a little over the top. And I, I think that it, it has good intentions. I think clearly they're making a movie and they're trying to say something constructive and informative about the justice system and what it does to people who don't belong in prison. And it does a, it's efficient in really getting that across. I think the opening scene in this movie is like exactly right. It's exactly the way that you position our introduction to this kid and his plight. Without knowing anything about why he's there, you understand immediately that he doesn't belong there. But at the same time, I think they just kind of squander a lot of that goodwill. I think that watching this trial I, I'm so sick of... Because you kind of mentioned how they shoot the trial very differently. They shoot the prison scenes very differently. That's all spot on. They're clearly doing like a, a visual style that is flexible. And it's about his perspective and where he's at. And it works because he's a film student. So... Yeah. All that's fine. They try to do this thing where he's like directing his life. And I just... I think that if that's part of the novel, that makes sense. And that is a great flair to add that sort of voiceover for a novel. But here, it just comes off, at least to me, as pretentious and all these things that do not describe, I think, this kid. True. And it, it, just, it, it just threw me off completely. I think Loose is the better version of this. It, Loose is a very different movie. It's not about a kid who's like being put in jail or anything like that, but it is about... A teenager who is sort of torn between cultural societal expectations and how they view themselves that's ultimately what loose is about and loose is so much more original and inventive with the way it portrays high school with the way it portrays high school relationships and things and dynamics between students and teachers here it's like really just straight and uninteresting to me the way that it tackles this this idea of this kid who just, these courtroom scenes that I feel like that you could have seen them in like Trial Chicago 7 or something. And then it's like the prison scenes, I think lack a lot of teeth. I think that they kind of avoid brutalizing this kid and putting a lot of misery into the film. And I do appreciate that. But at the same time, it's it doesn't have quite the right balance because then you just sort of find yourself being like, unsold i think by the what's going on in in this movie if that makes any sense
1: no i agree i mean i think i was kind of okay with the general sort of pretensions of the film because like i felt they were trying to mirror the character and like his perspective on the situation how like his influences are are very much like he's just like emulating the people that he likes from a filmmaking standpoint and like if the movie was commenting on that more i think i would have been okay with it but after point like you said like what it's trying to say kind of becomes a little bit more shallow because it feels like it's trying to be like all these different things and the stuff that calls back to the book doesn't really feel as relevant to the movie because it just like like the narration like you said doesn't really match what we're seeing in terms of the visual execution of it so i'm constantly thinking about the book and like the narration of it and like like him like telling this other story while he's telling this story at the same time and for me i just constantly kept thinking about like him making the movie while they're just, they're trying to tell this story. And like I said, like, if that was kind of the point, which I guess it sort of is and it isn't, like that, like, he's, like you said, like sort of directing his life, I guess I would have been more with it if it it did that a little bit cleaner, like it had more of a, um, a narrative through line, I guess, but it just kind of feels like it's like the filmmaker is trying to do, like, several different things. Kind of similar mainstream, I guess, in that way.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. While I was watching this, I, I definitely was thinking like, oh gosh, are they going to do a, like, who's the real monster (laughs) kind of thing.
1: But no, I mean- it's a camera and like, it's you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I don't want to make it sound like this film is like really bad or that it it fails in every respect. It's just frustrating because there are good scenes here. I really like the scene, for example, where we're first introduced to Jennifer Ely's character and you just feel the hopelessness when he just sees himself as another name in a book, of people who she just sort of is going to write off because how could, you know, here, here here's yet another young black man saying that he is innocent and this, his white defense lawyer, you can just sort of tell that she just, here we go again with this. And she just doesn't seem to be invested. And it's a scene that's really important and really crucial in setting up their dynamic because clearly that doesn't last, but, I don't know, I just wish the film had more of those standout scenes that are just like that in the opening scene. They just feel efficient. They feel like really well thought through. Other scenes here, it, it, it's just a lot of like limping to the finish line a little bit of like, yeah, we we, we kind of have to get through this part of the movie. We have to get through this montage of witnesses. We have to do this part of the movie where the you know the teacher gets on the stand. I don't know, it just all feels very not to equally investing all the way through
1: yeah it's a bit scripted it's a little heavy-handed Um, yeah I mean I think I don't know I don't really know um, much about the filmmaker or anything like that but I'm getting the vibe that like I think the movie the filmmakers they thought so much about this movie that they kind of lost their way afterwards like they're they, they put so much thought into like how the movie should be presented what they're trying to say that I think those like raw human moments are sort of few and far between because they're so focused on either the visual or storytelling aspects of the film that, that we kinda need more of those character moments to really make those moments stand out. And unfortunately I just don't think the movie kind of finds that balance between the humanity and the visual aesthetics.
0: I also think it's fairly irresponsible to invoke Rashomon, but then have a pretty objective, like and then here's what happened, exactly. <laughs> you know, of having yeah, it's like a an weird ob- about that. Yeah. Even Twelve Angry Men, you know, wisely doesn't try that. It doesn't show us at the very end of that movie. Okay, well here's what happened. You know, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at.
1: That's the other thing too, is that like at least for me, like I I never really was like under the impression that he was guilty throughout the film. Like it just I don't think the movie ever made me believe that he was ever guilty. So it's the the idea of like Rashomon or like you said Twelve Angry Men, where it's like we have a moment of doubt, like, oh, did he do it? Like, I think the movie's trying to do that, but I never personally had that moment. I don't know about you.
0: I think I liked the ambiguity that it was sort of touching on. Cause I, I do think as the movie progresses, there are moments where you're like, wait, did he, is he? And I, I think that there is like this question it's trying to ask of like, whether or not he's guilty, isn't the point. And I wish right. the movie had been a little bit more upfront about any of those more implied messages of what is the right punishment for something like for circumstances and for societal pressures and things like that, if that is what's going on here. But yeah, I I just think the boost, it it just doesn't really cover it, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, especially with the supporting characters played by ASAP Rocky and John David Washington, I feel like the movie fails to ask that question as well.
0: I would agree with that. Yeah. And I did mention, uh, the, what's his name? Jeremy Jerome, from uh, When They See Us is also in this.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Jarell Jerome, excuse me. He he has a couple quick moments and that I was unfortunate that. because, yeah. well, that was unfortunate just because like, he's so good in When They See Us and When They See Us is so much better than this, I think, and covering like innocent people dealing with like an unfair justice system and really reckoning with the effects of it. This movie feels so much lesser by comparison mm-hmm. And it's not Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s fault. You know, I I think he's doing really good work here. It's none of these performers. I just think that if you're going to watch something along these lines on Netflix, I would watch When They See Us, the miniseries. I think that it's much stronger.
1: I think we can just point to generally other films that either the movie is emulating or that have come out recently that I think just ultimately do this better. I mean, I can see why Netflix picked it up. I I definitely think there is, even though it is a somewhat outdated film, Uh, There is obviously a lot of relevance to it, and I can understand why Netflix wanted to release it now. But like you said, unfortunately, I I just don't think it it, it fully hits its targets in a way that that is uh, ultimately lasting. Which is unfortunate, because if this had done it well, this could have been a really amazing movie.
0: The hypersynical part of me, and by hypersynical I mean normal part of me. I basically assume that they pushed this out or were okay with timing it with the result of the Chauvin trial.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. I was wondering about that.
0: Hard not to, for sure. So very different situation, of course, a very different real life situation. But I think a lot of people are going to connect some of the themes of this movie, at least, and find themselves, you know, considering. Because just saying, like, the national spotlight was so heavy on that trial. Like, people were really analyzing it and looking at the legal procedures. And so, yeah, it's kind of hard to separate. That said, I think it could paint whether or not you like the movie. I, for me, it could go either way. I really don't know. Well,
1: I do think uh, critics seem to be pretty kind on the film, and I'm wondering if that's why.
0: It's like a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, you know, like mixed to positive, like light positive. So I'm not sure where people are going to land on it with hindsight. We'll see. But for me, I am a uh, a very low C+, kind of ber- kind of verging on a C. But I, I do, I do give it a little bit of a bump because I do think the performances are good, and I like a, I like a bunch of the scenes in this, and yeah, I, I think that if it had come out in a different time, I, I'm really curious what I would have thought maybe in, at Sundance 2018, because it looked like some of the reviews out of Sundance were a bit more positive, so I, I wish I had had that festival air, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not too far from you. I think I'd give it like a low to moderate C plus. Um, there's a lot here to like. I, I definitely. Uh, I am impressed by Calvin Harrison Jr. Yet again, I think he is uh, quite a dynamic young actor and, and I think he carries his film well enough as well as, uh, just a general supporting cast. I think is good. ASAP Rocky, I think is also quite good as well. I'm kind of sad that, um, he hasn't really done as much acting outside of this and dope. Yeah, I, know. I I think he's pretty charismatic and, uh, I, th- I think he's a good supporting actor. I don't know if he's going to do any lead stuff in the future, but I like him as an actor. I think he's good. I'd, I'd like to see him do more stuff.
0: Yeah. He, he has a lot of charm.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I I think there's a lot to value here. I I, I do actually kind of generally admire the film for having a strong visual style, but like I said, I also think that kind of undermines what it's doing because it gets so caught up in how it's telling a story that it doesn't focus on the story it's trying to tell. So, uh, moderate C plus for me.
0: Should mention though, with A. Uh, S. A. P. Rocky, wasn't he arrested a couple years ago? <laughs>
1: was he i don't know i think
0: he assaulted somebody if oh I, really oh geez I, i'd have to look into that i don't want to i don't want to uh, talk slander or anything so
1: yeah well i did not know about that i i'll, I'll say that up front
0: yeah it is it's like as soon as i said like yeah he stopped wait a minute <laughs> um i'm not sure if uh yeah
1: well yeah like i said didn't know about that
0: that said though um i mean he's, he's had issues like he he was like a drug dealer in his earlier life and complicated past very talented guy. But all right, that is Monster. It's available to stream right now on Netflix. It's been kind of dancing around the top 10. And uh, it's only 98 minutes long. Pretty easy to watch that one in one sitting. Now, we do have a problem, well, Ashton, as we kind of move into our last film of the week here. So far, we've had the same grade. Huh. We're two for two. And yeah. that already happened like once in the last like 30 days. And I'm not here to let it happen again. But I think... Maybe this will be what breaks the curse.
1: Okay. I was going to say our Mitchell versus machines conversation caused a bit of a riff. So I, I was actually kind of <laughs> glad that we were yeah. coming back together this week. Cause I imagine next week we're going to be on a divide again. I don't know if we will. I'm just assuming.
0: I, I mean, I, I appreciate Will that you, you want us to agree. You want us to, to be friends. You want us to have, you know, a con a conge uh, what's the word congenial, you know, back and forth. Not me. Yeah. I want the spice,
1: you want the knives. I out. want the heat. All right.
0: Yeah, it makes for a better show. I, that, that's I'm, I'm being a bit more of like Andrew Garfield and mainstream. You know, I want sure. the clicks.
1: Well, I thought we would be a little bit combative with uh, mainstream, so I was kind of surprised that we were on the same wavelength there. So
0: we were, we weren't that far off on Under the Silver Lake. So,
1: uh, okay. So, um, yeah, let's see how we feel about Pink Skies Ahead.
0: Let's talk about Pink Skies Ahead. This is a new comedy kind of a dramedy that yeah, was written and directed by say again
1: no i would agree i'd say dramedy i wouldn't define it as a strict comedy
0: yeah yeah because it's it, it definitely has a lot of dark elements too it's about mental health in a it lot gets, of ways
1: yeah it gets pretty serious at the end
0: yeah it was written and directed by kelly oxford this is her first feature film it stars jessica barden marcia Gay Harden, michael mckean rosa salazar Louis Pullman, Odea Rush, Henry Winkler, Mary J. Blige, Evan Ross. Really good cast here.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, good cast.
0: The movie had its world premiere at AFI Fest last October, and it just came out Saturday on MTV Films. It had like a TV premiere. I guess it's technically like a TV movie, I suppose.
1: What have we become?
0: (laughs) Hey, nothing wrong with TV TV movies. movies. Usually we just watch TV movies on Netflix, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this one, I I was watching this and I was sold because okay, it's Jessica Barton. Yeah, I was gonna say we like Jessica Jessica Barton on this podcast. Yeah, she uh, she is a strong, strong actor.
1: I was gonna say because I don't even think this movie was on your radar, but I was just like, hey, there's this new movie with Jessica Barton coming out, and like the Kool Aid Man, he just bursts into MTV's office and is like, give me the screener. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard of it. Uh, In terms of Jessica Barden, I mean, I've been a fan of her since... First thing I saw from her was the end of the effing world. And I also liked her in uh, The Lobster. I just didn't... Like, I wasn't aware of her when I saw The Lobster, to be totally clear, right? That said, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I don't know. She has like an American accent. I don't know if i buy this. But then... The movie does something that wins me over immediately. And I'm like, okay, here we go. This is the movie I want to watch right now. It says that it is set in 1998. And Will, you know me, you know that if a movie, that's all a movie has to do. It could have nothing to do with the nineties and it doesn't. Yeah. But if it just says. I think if
1: you, yeah, like, (laughs) like there's that, that Drake meme where it's, you know, like him like pushing away and then like being like, oh yeah. I think of you like '80s nostalgia. You're like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> '90s nostalgia, give that to me. Bring That's it like on you over. Right yeah,
0: give it. I and it's only because I'm starving for it. We don't get enough of it. I mean, come on, we're, we're, '90s nostalgia. We maybe get like what, like Captain Marvel? Like how many times are we gonna mention that movie in this show?
1: Oh, one more it doesn't hurt.
0: Yeah, rule three. Uh, so this, this movie, it's a pretty straightforward kind of coming of age film. Our main character is 20. Uh, impressive for Jessica Barden, just because like they shot this when she was like 27 or 26. And yeah, she's like still playing younger, you know, almost high school characters. Um, but that, yeah, it's credit to her yeah. range.
1: It's weird for me. Cause it's like, yeah, like she's about my age in this. And I just can't think of me like playing a high schooler, but you know, I guess that's, that's why I'm not an actor.
0: Well, you may not want to see our bit that I had planned for next week.
1: John and Will have to
0: pretend to be in high school again in order to Uh, stop a criminal conspiracy. It's it's a very original screenplay I'm working on.
1: Sounds pretty problematic.
0: But yeah, so uh, yeah, this movie, it's kind of, like I said, like a coming-of-age sort of thing. Uh, Our main character is named Winona, played by Jessica Barden. She's kind of in a series of Arrested Development. She can't get her license. She has blue hair. Uh, she has kind of like your friends.
1: The series of rest Development, she's not in that, but she is in a series of Arrest Development, yes.
0: I was hoping, I, yeah, I mean, that was the joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: She, she just kind of finds herself at a bit of a crossroads. Uh, she works for her dad. She dropped out of school, and she just doesn't have like a clear idea of what she wants to do. And kind of moving from there, she's kind of like dating a guy who's going to be like a PhD, you know, person and he's going to get his PhD. I don't know why I phrased it that way. And she's, she's trying to find a problem with her experience. She has like very, I need life experiences kind of personality, which is usually something that really irks me. It's like the people who like their personality is traveling because they can't just like sit still and enjoy a single moment. They're just obsessed with being a tourist in other places sure yeah she just she just kind of finds herself like a little bit like i don't know what i want to do but i know that i need to to go through something she goes to her doctor played by henry winkler and has like diagnosed me with something you know he's like he's been her pediatrician for years and years
1: i was gonna say i definitely preferred the pediatrician version of uh, henry winkler in this as opposed to on the count of three
0: I was I was gonna say but I was like ah, our listeners haven't seen that movie yet. So they wanna understand. It'll make sense to them when they see the movie. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, sure. Keep going. Very good point. I did think about that during this, so very fair. She she's just like diagnose me or something. Give me a disease. She wants to be able because she's a writer. She mentions that throughout the movie. She's like, she wants to but she can't write unless she does something or goes through something. So he diagnoses her with anxiety disorder. And it's like, yeah, you have you have anxiety. And he tries to get her to go to like a, a group for like people who have panic attacks. And she's like, ah, I've never gone through this. This is ridiculous. But of course, this this movie is kind of about how that sort of stuff builds and happens for the first time. It's really, really traumatic in that sense. This movie is very confusing to me. I mentioned that it was like a comedy, but then it's like a dark comedy. And the reason I struggle to like, say it's one or the other is because it's like half and half and the two never really quite go together. It's like really comedic and light. And then it'll be extremely dark and really like triggering. So I, I, uh, maybe, maybe that was the point. Maybe that's what Oxford was going for. What do you think?
1: Um, I, I think it's a bit of that. And I think it's also that, um, she's a first time filmmaker. I don't think she's done any short films or anything like that I haven't checked so I could be speaking out of turn but I mean she comes from a writing background and I know generally speaking when writers go to direct and they haven't had any directing experience they they tend not to always nail those tone balances
0: so I'll say um Kelly Oxford this is this is what I know about her she's kind of like a blogger person um she was in like the early 2000s she was a stay-at-home mom and she got into like writing online and script writing before it was like, or like kind of at the height of it, I guess yeah. I was going to say before, but it really was like the height yeah. of like blogging yeah. and she gained a huge following during that time. She was like one of the first, like really big, like Twitter influencers was for say, like the yeah. writing community
1: in like 2009 when that was like kind yeah. of a, a new thing to do
0: she was in the first wave and she kind of uh you know she she's connected to people like diablo cody for example she's written for like tv shows yeah she's worked with like jessica alba and uh one thing uh she's she's written a few books too
1: yeah books of essays
0: yeah uh she's one of her biggest like moments of notoriety on twitter was uh during the 2016 election she was kind of at like the the height of like me too and stuff where okay. she like yeah she she was one of the ones who like used the hashtag she wasn't the first but she used the hashtag not okay and was like tweet me your your first assaults like in the aftermath oh. of the uh the uh donald trump uh tapes right
1: okay yeah
0: so yeah she's very very like hyper brand kind of person, very provocative, very like, very outspoken about her beliefs and everything like Uh that. I don't think she has made any short films. I think she worked on like a, she's done something in the 90s before. that It was like a show uh, she was working on for Hulu, but I don't know if it ever came out. I remember hearing about it and I think that was the last I heard of it. So- now we have this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she was involved as like a writer and an actress on that show. Right. I don't know if she was directing it, but she could have been. I don't know.
0: I th- I think, yeah, she was. I know she was working on it. I th- I assume she was writing it and maybe it was a showrunner.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, new That's beyond B- filmmaking scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I mean, you know, I, I think she's she's Pretty well known in the literary scene, like both of her books, I believe, have been bestsellers. But um, you know, she's not really as well known outside of like the uh, the blogging and Twitter sphere for some folks. So, a little uh, uh, refresher yeah. isn't too bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine a lot of people like we, we we have younger listeners. I I feel like she's not somebody like you know the teens and college aged sure. cinema holics have probably heard of too much. Because I I to be fair, I haven't really heard. Uh, from her in like yeah. it feels like four or five years so it's kind of interesting to see her come back and and with this you know something for mcv and i don't know i i struggled a bit with this movie it has things i love in it it has actors i love it has a story that is really personal to me i you know i've had panic attacks i've you know, it's something that runs in my family. It's it's something that I always appreciate a, a film having a deft hand in. And I think she does she she depicts this sort of situation and this sort of condition really accurately. Um almost to a fault. <laughs> but I just I don't think I ever quite connected with this movie, did you?
1: Uh I'm actually gonna well, I was hoping we would disagree secretly, but I think we're actually pretty well in line in this. Um Ah. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, uh, I was with you in the sense that, like, at the beginning of the movie, I was kind of rolling my eyes and being like, "Oh boy, here's another one of these coming of age kind of movies." Mama you know, Mia,
0: like, here we go again.
1: Sure, you know, like kind of the liberated parents, the like. Uh, hyper-relevant sense of time period, the outspoken young high school to college age uh, girl. You know, these uh you know, its it influences seem apparent here, like Lady Bird and like Ghost World and a few other films in this vein. Like it, it seems like this movie's kind of emulating them in some fashion or another. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, I'm just not really. I was a little disappointed at first. I'm like, I'm not really feeling this. It, it just kind of feels. Like other like a lesser version of other better films and I don't think that ever fully goes away. But once the characters get a little settled in and we do spend more time with Jessica Barton's character, I did find the film to be more endearing. Even if it didn't get like exceptionally better, it does kind of calm down and does tend to be a little bit more, like you said, personal and character focused. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of with this. I'm kind of with its vibe. Um, I can really relate to some scenes in this. There's definitely, like you said, because it's so personal, it does. Like I can, I can respect what it's doing, and I can get into the character's headspace and understand her. And um, I really think Jessica Barton uh, does a nice job. I can, I can agree with you that the accent does, uh, does get a little taken used to, but otherwise, I, I do think she does a nice job with this, and I think she's able to handle the stark tonal bow- or, uh, shifts a little bit easier because like she is such a star presence in this. That's like, okay, she can, she can do both tones pretty well. It, it does make the, the transition from the more lighthearted stuff into the more heady and serious stuff, a little gradual or a little bit easier to process. But um, yeah, I mean the movie itself in terms of the narrative, it does kind of fall into a few expected beats. It, it does hit a lot of tropes and cliches that we've seen before, particularly one with uh, Michael McKean's father character where uh, without giving anything away, Jessica Barton's character kind of assumes one thing is happening, and it's like, no, it's not this. It's this other relevant thing, and it's just like, that's yeah, been so played out at this point. It's just like, we've seen that in a yeah. million other movies, and it's just like, there's other little things like that, too. But um, I did end up reading the essay that this movie is based on, just kind of just to, to pierce together what stuff is from her real life and what stuff is kind of dramatized for this. And based on what I was reading for that article, the scenes that I found myself more endeared by or found myself more impressed with tend to be the stuff that was lifted from her real life and the things that uh, I was kind of less okay with, I I found were kind of the more like added things in here to kind of like fluff it out and kind of make it more of a like traditional Hollywood eyes movie of this. And, um, you know, maybe just my way of saying that, like, I guess when the movie is kind of a little bit more, like we said, like from her own experience and, and does clearly relate to her own life, I found myself really admiring and appealing or feeling myself appealed by the movie and appreciating what she's doing. But when it's trying to like, kind of be like 15 other of these movies, it, it finds, it, I find myself constantly thinking of those movies and not thinking so much about what the movie is trying to do here.
0: Yeah, that's definitely rings true for me as well. Yeah, there were there were parts here that resonated and just parts that didn't. I I thought about Lady Bird a lot while watching this. I thought that Lady Bird just is supremely a better put together movie about some of the same things and what I like about Lady Bird is how it adds so much other stuff to the teen experience to make the character feel more well rounded, right? Yeah. So I yeah, to me, this kind of just feels like a one note kind of experience of a film. And at the same time, there's really good dialogue in this, as you would expect from Kelly Oxford. I think that there's one piece of dialogue involving a fork that uh, definitely going to stick out in my mind for a while and uh, <laughs> delightfully so.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. forgot about that.
0: I do not have much to add. I, I think that I'm going to end up going with an extremely low B minus that was a C plus, but the reason I'm I'm bumping it up to B minus for two reasons. One, the soundtrack. Jessica Okay. Soundtrack is fantastic. (laughs) Well, Jessica Barton's a reason this isn't a C. So it's that the soundtrack, but then also just going to say it. I don't want to agree with you again. I know you're going to give this thing like a C plus, maybe a C. So I'm going to, I'm just kidding. That's not, (laughs) it's just
1: the soundtrack. Um, yeah. Um, I would say for like an hour or so of this movie, I was wavering between, uh, well, throughout the whole thing, I was wavering between a B- and a C-plus. For like the first hour or so, I was, I was in the C-plus territory. I'm just like, I admire what the movie's doing. I'm just not really connecting with it too much. I appreciate the performances. I really like the supporting cast in this a lot. I really did enjoy uh, Henry Winkler's performance. I thought that was going to be like kind of like too on me or weird, but like all of those scenes I thought really worked well, and I thought he had good chemistry with Jessica Barton. And I was like, I actually kind of wish there was more stuff with the, uh, with with the doctor. I I found this kind of appealing and sweet, but um, I, throughout the film, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, appreciate what's doing, not really f- connecting with it. And then I want to say, like in the last like 20 minutes, it kind of, once it did settle down, it it really hit home its points. It, it resonated with me in a way I wasn't really expecting, and I guess I found myself pretty unexpectedly endeared to what. Uh, Kelly Oxford was doing here as a director and filmmaker. And I was just like, hey, you know what? I don't think this is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I, I don't think she's really hitting all of her points as well as she should. Some of this is way too over satirized. Like some of this is uh, too muted. Some of this is like kind of focusing on things I think I wish weren't focused on. And some aspects I kind of wish they were heightened a bit. But There is, I think, something here to be said about uh, living with anxiety and, like, the idea of, like, kind of feeling stagnant in your life and, like, trying to find your, like, kind of core center that it's not new, it's not fresh, but for an MTV movie, I think it it generally kind of works by the end. And uh, I don't know. I I found it ultimately kind of sweet. And so I'm going to be same as you and give it a low B minus, like a a very low B minus. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I don't think it quite works. But there's enough here that by the end, I was just like, you know what? I appreciate it, Spunk. I I, I admire what it's doing, and uh, I didn't hate the time I had with it.
0: Now I think you're just matching my grade on purpose. Although, okay, I do think it's funny that you're like, as soon as this movie settles down, I thought you were going to be like, you know, like, moves out of the house, and it it gets a job, and it just starts to get stuff together. (laughs) That's when it uh, starts to work for you. Um, Sure. but, But yeah, no, mostly agree with your points there, and... Yeah, it's 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 not a bad little film. Definitely worth seeking out if you are a fan of anybody involved and are looking for kind of a breezy Sunday afternoon watch. I think it works.
1: Yeah. I was kind of surprised this wasn't at Sundance because this kind of feels like type of movie. Oh, yeah, Or like, South like, By. Uh, yeah, like you'd see it at like 2 p.m. on like a Sundance Saturday or something and be like, yeah, that was all right.
0: Yeah. Although I sh- should say it was actually supposed to premiere at South By last year, but this well, thing happened. You might have heard about it. Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of made things a little trickier if if they were scheduled to happen in March of 2020. We'll talk about it later.
1: Yeah, I was wondering why these things that keep that were supposed to happen in March just stopped happening. You know, I was just like, (laughs) where's my invites, guys?
0: (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, that is Pink's guys ahead. It is just 94 minutes long. It has a 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes doing pretty well. Ten reviews. Its average rating is like a 7.6 out of 10, so it's a little low for a 90%, but that's kind of it. would be expected when a lot of reviews haven't been filed quite yet. I'm not sure how people can watch this one right now. I know it was available; it was on MTV, and then uh, I watched it as a screener. Did you watch it on... Oh, yeah, you watched it as a screener as well. I don't know if it's available on demand or anything, so...
1: I think it's on demand uh, because, it just like you said, it aired on MTV So if you have, you know, like whatever, Fios or something, I'm sure it's available on the box. But MTV, uh, when I went to the tape this initially, I realized that their programming slate is pretty dire (laughs) at the moment. It's just basically like ridiculousness episodes and then like movies that came out like 10 years ago. So my guess is that they're going to be playing this movie a lot on MTV. So if you're tuning into this uh check mtv if it's see if it's playing now if not it'll probably play sometime soon
0: that's it for us this week we'll be back next week to review who knows what (laughs) a lot of films coming out but uh yeah yeah, definitely connect with us on social media if you have any suggestions for the show and we'll be uh spending our time trying to watch a ton of indie movies and trying to figure out which ones people are going to care about so there you go sure from the internet california i'm john egrony
1: and from the internet pennsylvania i'm Ashton.
0: see you next time